you have your Bible, I want you to open it with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and he says, I will very gladly spend, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I feel like I'm loved. He said, I will very gladly, not grievously, not having... I will gladly spend and be spent for souls. I love that. And then I want to read one other quick verse of Scripture from Acts chapter 13 and verse 36. This is a beautiful um, ending and it's words spoken about David in the end of his life. For David, listen to these words, after he had served his own generation by the will of God fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. He served his own generation. Really, um, each of us are supposed to serve our own generation. That if, if you don't like the way things are, you are called in every generation. I think about people in our military. I think about people, doctors and nurses and all kinds of people who serve. They're serving their generation, the person who puts the tires on your car at the service station or whatever. Whatever you do in life, you are to serve. You are to contribute. You are to spend and be spent and, and, and serve your generation. The Bible says of David, he served his generation in the will of God. He, in other words, he did the will of God for his life. He did what he was put on this earth the purpose for which he was born, he did it. What, what, what an amazing thing that could be written on a headstone of a grave that they served their generation. They impacted their generation by the will of God and fell asleep. You know, God usually and almost always calls someone out of the same generation that they serve. That, that, that he calls them out of that generation to serve that generation. Rarely does God call someone who is not of that generation to serve a younger generation. If, if, um, it's, if, if you're part of a generation, it's harder for you, an older generation, it's harder for you to serve them. I'll speak for myself. I don't understand the younger generation. I don't understand their dress. I don't understand their music. I don't understand their uh, stuff, the, the rings in their noses and ears. I'm, I'm not against it. I, I just don't understand it. It was, it was different. So I, I, I'm going to influence the best I can. But when God wants to touch that generation, he'll raise somebody up in that generation and I can acquit them and I can help them. But God uses people out of their generation to touch their generation. Say amen, somebody. I think when I read the scripture about when they were released from Babylonian captivity, 
And it's so typical of how things are as people, one generation gets older and a new generation comes along. The Bible said God told them to rebuild the temple. And the scripture said when they laid the foundation and had built the temple, that the young generation, the, the now generation, they were shouting and they were happy, happy. And you know what the Bible said? Said the old people, the older generation was sitting over in the corner crying, crying at the dedication of the new temple because it didn't look like it used to be and it's not like the church we grew up in. And it's always been that way. And it will always be that way. And I don't want to be that old man that does that. I want to cheer them on. I want to say, hey, I got some money. Let me, get, let me help you do that. Right? I got something that I can contribute to you. It's really something when you understand because a lot, of, a lot of times what happens to people is their future, you're, you're, in, you're, you're, you're doomed when your future gets behind you instead of in front of you. Israel kept letting their future get behind them. And so they would be moving into the promised land, but they would start whining and they would start saying, I remember the leeks and the garlics and what we had in Egypt. And, and the most amazing thing is the further you get away from your past, the better it looks. The devil will tell you you were better off in the world. No, you were not. You, you have selective memory because they, they, they forgot. They forgot about the slime pits. They forgot about feeding their sons to crocodiles. They forgot about the whip beating their back in chains. They forgot about the little nasty huts they were living in. They forgot about the scarcity of food and making bricks out of straw, working 20 hours a day in slavery, and they actually would allow their future to be put in their past and put behind them and that's what happens to people when they start living in the good old days and how it used to be. It wasn't all that great. The further you go back, the better it looks. Israel forgot what God had done. I want to boldly proclaim today that God's got great things ahead in all of us in our future. Great things, great things. I heard this story and I want to give it to you. I'm going to pull all this together and you'll understand exactly what, what we're trying to say up here today. But this little story I heard was about a man who was growing up on a farm with his granddad and he would spend most of the summers there with his granddad and he said that they were work, work, work all the time on the farm, had an old farm place, had fences that had to be repaired and barns and all kinds of stuff and and there was particularly one field that he said every summer for year after year after year, they had to go out and at some point in the day after they'd worked hard, they had to, they had an old flatbed uh, trailer pulled by a mule and they would pick up heavy rocks, just pick up rocks and put them on that uh, trailer, you know, and take them across the street and throw them off. And the bad thing is he said that, the field was positioned around some little hills and stuff, and the rain, every time it would rain, it would just gully wash some of those rocks. And they, they said, we'd get the biggest piles out, and, and there'd be more that'd come from every direction. And he said, our whole life, my whole childhood, I remember one thing about that farm of my grandfather is picking up those rocks and putting them on that trailer. And he said that his grandfather died at some point, and they buried him there on the property and put 
rocks all around his burial place. And they said that, um, said that, you know, they sold the home place. The family did after a certain amount of time. It all went to somebody else. And they had a family reunion 20 years later, and he went home to his family, and he had not been there for many, many years. And someone had bought the old home place, and they had added on to it and fixed it up, and the yards were manicured, and the house was absolutely stunning and gorgeous, and they had torn down the old barns and just redone everything and did it their way and had a swimming pool and all this and said, and even beside them, the field, that huge field that they had year after year picked up rocks with his grandfather the guy had corn in it, and he said the stalks were taller than he was. And the thought hit him so strong that that man is eating corn out of the same field that all my granddaddy ever did was pick up rocks out of. And so he got emotional about it and pulled the car over, got out and tore down one of the corn stalks, and I don't think he had permission to do it and went over and laid it on his grandfather's grave. And he said, Dad, Granddad, I just wanted you to know that you picked up rocks so another generation could eat corn. And, you know, when you think about it, one generation picks up rocks so someone else can eat corn. The gathering of rocks is hard and strenuous and heavy. There's heavy lifting for the rock gatherer, and he doesn't always get to eat the corn. He doesn't always get to see everything that, that, that the heavy lifting is going to do. But you realize I'm doing this not just for me, but I'm doing it for someday a generation that will eat corn where I just picked up where I had toil and I had labor and I had sacrifice and I have skin up knuckles and I have cut up hands and broken fingernails. But it's beautiful because there's a generation that is going to eat corn because a previous generation picked up rocks. And when I think about this ministry and when I think about how that the heaviness of the rocks that had to be picked up for this place to be here and for every campus that we have to be there. Every one of those places were fields that were filled with rocks and obstacles and heavy things that, that created tremendous stress for somebody to pick it up and to carry it and to move it so that the house of God could be established and planted. Somebody picked up rocks so we could have harvest in this big old barn that we're sitting in here today. When I look back over the years and I think of people like old Brother Pierce and H.R. Pierce and J.W. Thomas, and I, I don't need to start naming people because there were so many, but even Pastor Welburn, who, who I followed, he, he picked up rocks so that a young evangelist who had never pastored me could come and, and, and eat corn in this big acre, 150 acre campus that we have here in Gainesville. It's a miracle, but it's only here because people did what they could do and it was at times heavy. It was a heavy lift for us to go from the building over there on Browns Bridge Road, the little brick 
church, the little A-frame church that could seat a few hundred people. It was a stretch to, to, to dream that we could build the North Campus, and we had to move uh, tons and tons of, of, they had to get those big dynamite and blow up rocks. And I thought about all the rock movers when we didn't have thousands of people, and we certainly didn't have money. Everything we had, we had to borrow, and it was scary, and it was stressful. And there were times when I didn't know what we were going to do and didn't know how we were going to make it. But that generation said, I'm going to serve my generation. We, we were driven. I knew that if a church is going to be here that's going to touch the, the nation and the world, we're going to have to pick up some heavy things and we're going to have to be under some stress and strain. But if we'll do our part, God will do his part. We poured our lives and there are people under the sound of my voice who have have poured their lives, and you can be assured today that there are people eating corn, there are marriages that are still together, there are families, there are people who've been delivered from drugs and alcohol. I thought about new beginnings, and I thought about Jericho House, and I thought about how they were just fields, but somebody like Sharon Thompson got a dream, got a vision, and said, we're going to pick up these rocks, and we're going to build a ministry, and it was stressful, and it was heavy, but boy, she did it, and those women were here in the first service, and I don't know if they're still here, but it was just a amazing. It was just amazing. The rocky fields of this world, somebody's got to pick up the rock. Somebody's got to live and serve their generation. You enter into the labors of others. And I want to say to the young people here, I want to say to all of you who are, to me, if you're 40 and under, you're young people. Amen. And, and what I want to say to you at this point is enjoy your corn. If you've got a dad and a mom who, who, who lifted heavy work and did a lot of stuff and built a business and gave you a home and gave you a family and gave you, man, you ought to be grateful and you ought to enjoy the corn and you ought to appreciate the, the rocks that they moved that you have no idea when they laid down at night the stress, the heaviness of some of those rocks that they carried for you. And, and sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget it. But I want to say enjoy the corn because as you're getting older, you're going to find out what the Apostle Paul said. And you're going to find out that, yeah, I get to eat the corn when I'm young, but at some point you will become the older person and you, there will be another generation like your baby, like your son or your daughter and the moment that that child comes out and you hold it in your arms, you realize, oh my God, I have got to build so much for this child. And so I want you to realize that you will be picking up rocks and you may not get to eat the corn that they eat. You won't have the life that they have. But if you do it right and you honor God and you honor him and put him first in your life, God will bless you. And you may not see everything that God's doing, but boy, he says, I made a covenant with that family and I'm going to bless those children and those children's children. Come on and give God a big hand clap if you believe what I'm preaching. How many of you are thankful for a few old white heads in your life that have really, really picked up some rocks and now you're eating corn? 
Turn to somebody that looks old and say, thank you. <laughs> All you old people, stand up. How many of you are 40 and up? You're old. Stand up. <laughs> Give them a big hand. Hey, I love you guys. I love you guys. I don't want to be one of you, but I, want, I love you. Amen. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Now, young people turn and say, can I have some money to eat after church? Just go ahead. Go on and get it over with. It's a good, good moment. <laughs> All right, let me finish my little sermon. Haggai 2 and verse 8. Now, this is where it's all going to come together, just building a little something here. God Almighty declares in Haggai 2 and 8, the silver is mine and the gold, says the Lord of hosts. God says, I own it all. Everything the earth has of value, it is mine. And yet, the odd thing about it is God doesn't ever carry any money on him. Jesus never had any money on him, although the silver and the gold was his. He's like me. I, I don't carry money. I don't carry cash on me. I carry a plastic credit card. Usually, that's about it. And if I break down and their machine's broke, they're not getting paid. Y'all going to have to come get me or something. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, I, I'm broke. Ask anybody. I'm broke all the time. I have money. I just never see it. I, I have it. I, it's out there somewhere. Sharice knows where it's all at. I don't, I, for some reason, uh, I, get, I get little uh, allowances. I get allowances, $20, $50, and I feel like I'm a rich man. I really do. If I've got $20, I feel like I'm ready to go on a long trip. Think of a God who has silver and a God who has all the gold. He owns it, but he never carries. If I were God, I'd at least carry some diamonds in one pocket and some gold nuggets in another and put some silver bars on my backpack. And, because you never know when you're going to want to feed 5,000 people. You never know when your taxes are going to need to be paid and you don't have any money. Why wouldn't he carry around money? Because the thing that you have to understand about Jesus and about God is when in God's economy, and this, this is really what we're talking about, in God's economy, he does not spend money, he spends people. And so when they came to Jesus and when Simon Peter came and he said, uh, Lord, the Pharisees are asking me, why don't you pay your temple tax? It wasn't the tax to Caesar. He said he paid his taxes. He, he, Jesus said, render, render. When they asked him, do you pay tax? Should we pay tax? He said, render under Caesar what is Caesar's and render under God what is God's. So take care of God, take care of, of, of your taxes. But this was a reference, the one that when he comes, Peter comes to him and he says, uh, Lord, they're asking the Pharisees, the religious people, why don't you pay the temple tax? There was something called the temple tax. And if, listen, this is so important. When you turn 20 years of age, you had to pay something called a temple tax under the old covenant. 
it was half a shekel. And if you were 20 or above, you had to pay that. And Jesus said, you know, you're right, because we know that Jesus was 30 years of age. He was over 20. And then he turns to Simon Peter and he says, go uh, get a hook and go to the um, pier down there, the Sea of Galilee, and catch a fish. And when you open his mouth, there will be one shekel, which means it'll be, and he says these words, and pay the tax bill for me and for thee. He says that in in that same chapter. He says, pay it for me and thee. What about the other 11 disciples? Why would they not need the money? They were totally dependent on Jesus for three and a half years. They had no side jobs. They had thrown away their fishing nets or whatever. They were only totally dependent upon Jesus' ministry, taking care of them. They owed it. Here's the reason why scholars believe that he didn't bother. He just paid the tax for himself. He was 30 years of age. Simon Peter was the second oldest. He was the only one we know that was married. He had a mother-in-law who had a fever, you remember, and Jesus healed it. So we know he was old enough to be married and have a family, but none of the other disciples, here's why, is because scholars believe that he didn't provide enough money for all of them because the rest of them were under 20 years of age. They were teenagers. And doesn't that make sense? Jesus is 30 years old. I'm sorry I'm messing up your picture of the Lord's Supper at home right now, but there was not a gray beard among them. He picked his own generation. He was 30 years old. He wasn't an old man. He was 30 years old, and he picked teenagers, probably in their late teens, and he said, I'm going to change the world, and I'm not going to get the old people to do it. I'm not going to get the experienced, matured people to do it. I know this is a rough bunch. I know this is a crazy bunch. I know I've got all kinds in this bunch, but I'm picking these 12, and they're young people. They're teenagers, and if I can get them to get around me, and I can shape them, and I can mold them, they can change the world. They can serve their own generation. I want to say to the young people that are under the sound of my voice, you have to serve your generation. And at some point, if you, if you, here's the secret to life. I mean, a real fulfilled life is get the thing off, get the spotlight off of you and begin to serve your generation. Find some way to help people. If you do it, it is the most rewarding thing. And amazingly, once your motive is right, the money will chase you. You won't have to be a beggar. You won't, you will, be amazed as you start serving your generation. You'll have to carry heavy rocks. Don't get me wrong. You'll be under tremendous pressure. And at night, you'll go home and say, I feel spent. I'm about dead. This has about killed me. I can't take this, the pressure. When I think about the rocks that me and Sharice and the leaders of this church have had to carry, it's not, it's not about us, but my God, if you're trying to build something, you're going to have to do some heavy lifting. And it'll scare the daylights out of you. So the disciples were so young I mean, if they weren't young, let me ask you this. Do you remember the story 
when two of them went and got their mama and they said, we want you to go with us to see Jesus and we want you to tell Jesus to let him let us sit at the right side and the left side of his kingdom. Why wouldn't you go yourself? You're grown. Um, well, I had a bad word almost come in my mind right there. You, you, you're a grown old, older person. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. You, how great thou art. My goodness. Why would grown men, old men with gray beards, why would they, mama, come on, go ask the preacher, Jesus, to give us a position? They were, they were young kids. They were kids. Let no man, Timothy said, despise your youth. Don't let anybody tell you because you're young, you're too young, and it can't be done. He's picking another generation. We need to understand the economy of God. God, listen carefully now, God will spend one person to buy another person. When God is going to do something in the world, he does not buy the lost with money. He doesn't put silver and gold in his pocket. He puts you and he puts you and he puts you and he puts you in his pocket, and he says, all right, I need something done in the earth, and I don't spend money, I spend people. And I'm going to spend you. You're going to, this, per, this person that you are about to buy is going to cost you. I'm going to spend your prayer life. I'm going to spend your stress life. I'm going to spend your fasting. I'm going to spend all those tithing dollars you give. I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend everything you've got. And if God is spending you over some situation, it's only because he's buying somebody. So when you go home as a parent and you feel spent and you feel used up, and you lay there and scratch your head, just know that that's part of the process. That's why the Apostle Paul said what he said. I am willing to spend and be spent. Where did he get that concept from? All right, let's go. Acts chapter 7. Listen to this. Verse 54. And they cried with one voice, and they ran upon him. They cried with one voice, stopped their ears, and they ran at him in one accord, and they cast him out of the city, speaking of, of Stephen, and they stoned him. And the witness, this is so important, laid down their clothes. The witnesses laid down their clothes. The rock throwers laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Do you know who Saul was? Saul would become the great apostle Paul but he was the man who was persecuting the church. Now, I want you to see this picture. Look, at, look up here just one moment. So you've got Stephen, who is a good man, full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, full of miracles, full of anointing, full of grace, full of love. And you've got Saul of Tarsus, who is full of hate, full of violence, full of anger, full of religion, full of, of persecuting the church. And God says... I'm about to make a purchase. 
I'm about to buy this man that nobody sees value in in the kingdom because anybody in the right mind in the kingdom would say, hey, God, it's a good time for a miracle. Why don't you buy the good man and let's waste the bad man? Let's let him die. But God says, no, I'm about to buy somebody whose name is Saul, and two chapters later, he's going to encounter me. I'm going to knock him off his horse, and he's going to ask me, what would you have me to do? And I'm going to tell him, I'd have you to write half the New Testament. I want you to write the epistles. I want you to write the, I want you to write the book of Romans. I want you to write, tell people about my grace. I want you to take the gospel to all over the planet, all over the world. But, but in order for me to buy him, I've got to spend a good man. God will spend a good man to buy a bad man. God will spend a good person to buy a bad person because God sees the value that nobody else sees. By the way, I'm so glad that when Jesus went to the cross, he was willing to spend and be spent so that you and I could be bought and could be cleansed and could be forgiven. <laughs> he, they killed a good man. They killed a holy man. They killed a righteous man. And they, they bought a dirty man, an unclean man, an unworthy man. But that's how God does it. He doesn't walk around with money in his pocket. He says, give me your life. Surrender everything to me. I got you. You surrender. You love me. You're giving me your time, your talent, your treasure. You care. Yes, Lord. Good. And then when he sees somebody that's costly, he will reach in his pocket and he will say, you're about to go through stuff. You're about to suffer. You're about to be hit with rocks. You're about to be, your life is going to be shortened. You don't even know why God takes certain people. But sometimes God takes people to buy people. He spins people. The only reason some of you are sitting here this morning listening to this preacher is there was somebody that God said, if that one comes to be with me, that one will bow their knee. <laughs> and you don't take guilt on that. That's God's stuff. But I, I would have loved to have been in heaven. See, the thing about picking up rocks is you don't, you don't ever get to see the corn. Stephen never understood when he was being stoned. He just looks up and he sees this young kid named, named Saul standing there grinning, laughing at him being stoned to death as, as, as they put a pile of coats at his feet. And that's one of the last things Stephen saw. He knew, had no idea this guy's, uh, hey, God's going to, he didn't know it. He went to his grave not knowing it. He didn't know that Acts chapter 7 where he died is not the end. There's an Acts chapter 8. There's an Acts chapter 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 25, 28 chapters of miracles. Can you imagine the day that they cut the apostle Paul's head off? Can you imagine the day that he stepped on streets of gold and Stephen still don't know what's going on. He's up in heaven. He's walking on streets of gold and he's waving at people. Hey, hey. And he bumps in to that guy who was standing up on the hill 
holding the coats of the rock throwers. And I could almost see Stephen say, what are you doing here? To the Apostle Paul. The last time I saw you, you were grinning and laughing at me getting stoned, getting hit with rocks. I, I was under the pressure, heavy rocks. That's why the Apostle Paul said in my text, 2 Corinthians 12, I am willing, listen, to gladly spend and be spent for your souls. What he was saying was, the Lord did that for me when I never got over it. Look at me, everybody. And do you understand what that story is telling you? That pile of coats identifies God orchestrated that, that Saul would be there and watch Stephen die. He would never get over that moment. He heard him the, in one of those verses. He said, don't lay it to their charge. Lord, while they were hitting him with rocks, Lord, don't lay it to their charge. Don't charge them with this. I forgive them. And it messed him up. The Paul was watching this and it messed him up. And he said, I could never get over that moment. When you were spent, it bought me. And now... He says, I gladly spend, throw it back up, and I am willing to be spent for your souls. And I like how he ends it, but you probably won't get a lot of credit for it down here. He says, seem like the more I give, the less I, I'm loved and cared about. So don't become a victim and don't become a little whiny box. Just say, well, you know. This is how it goes. But I was never laboring for them in the first place. They just get to eat the corn. I was laboring for him. Hallelujah. When you understand what I'm preaching today, when you get to a place where you say, spin me, Lord. Take my time, take my talent, take my treasure, take whatever I've got, make my life count. I want to serve my generation. I'm tired of criticizing it. I want to see it turn around. God's not through with America. God's not through with this nation. God's not through with this generation. God's not through with this city, with this state. God is not through. Somebody's got to serve their own generation and say, we can turn it around. And we will. Because this is stuff we will be judged on one day. What did you do for my kingdom? And if he's spending you, he's buying somebody. So bear the cross. Paul said, I, I glory in my infirmities. I glory in them. Because I realize if he's spending me, He's buying someone. I never understood. I see you down there and you look just like my, bro my brother. Look, Chase. And I'll never understand why Richie. I still question that. Where, where is my brother? Why is he 50, what, 2, 53 years old? What? I don't know except mom, God spent him to buy 
someone, and we may never know exactly who and all, but boy, what a heritage you have. What a blessing you have on your family. And only God can do that kind of stuff. And it's His kingdom, and it's His economy. And if He decides to pull you out of the pocket and say, you're about to go through some stuff here, but I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to get glory out of this, and I'm going to buy some souls while I'm at it. Are you willing to be spent? Are you willing to spend and be spent? Everybody say, spend me. Please don't move in or out. Everyone stand to your feet. Raise your hands for just a moment and say, spend me. Spend me. I give myself away. Just lift your hands all over this room. Pray this prayer and say, Jesus, I give myself to you again. My time, my talent, my treasure, it all belongs to you. I want to do some things that will outlive me. I want to be involved in some things that are clearing the field for another generation to eat the corn. So Lord, today I say yes. Yes to your will. Yes, I will do what you called me to do. In Jesus' name. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Jensen Franklin and thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make these programs possible. For more information about this message and other ministry resources, visit us online at jensenfranklin.tv.